Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to start tonight just by putting something up on the screen. And um, we're we're just going to play the preview of a film I watched recently that just obviously got me thinking about a few things. And so it's a couple of minutes long. It's just a, it's just a preview that you would see. You know, it's an upcoming movie in the, in the movies because that's, the, that's probably the quickest and easiest way to do it. But just have a look at this, and then I'll come back and share a few thoughts afterwards. So there you go, just a preview. But even just in that preview, I trust that there's something going on inside you. I watched the whole film, and to be honest, you know, there were two things that I noticed at the end of the film. One of them was that it had really, really stirred my emotions. There was a whole bunch of emotions, but primarily they ranged between the really sad, you know, bring your tear to your eye type emotions, to the blood boiling, angry, frustrated, just wanting to hurt somebody type emotions. As you see, the, the mistreatment of these precious people, um, you know, portrayed from a couple of hundred years ago in the United States. And so I just thought it was interesting that, you know, just that film stirs up those emotions on one level, but the other thing it did was it strengthened some opinions I have about slavery. And you know, there's all sorts of things that you and I are watching on TV or at the movies or being just pummeled with all the time, and essentially, it's going to do those couple of things. It's going to stir our emotions, for better or for worse, but it's also going to strengthen our opinions. I had some opinions before about slavery, but you know, the more, the more I saw that and reflected on it, the more I was convinced that slavery is unfair, that it's, that it's harsh, that it's evil, and even ungodly. And then as I thought about it a little bit more, I noticed that some of the strong feelings I have and some of the opinions I had on that particular subject, that particular issue, if you like, weren't actually supported in the Bible. You're thinking, whoa, where's he going with this? (laughs) Certainly not to the degree that I would expect they would be. Because, you know, we would know that Christians played a massive part in the abolition of slavery. And so when we go to the Bible, we expect to find, you know, verse after verse, chapter after chapter almost, on the evils of slavery. And yet you read through the Bible, you're not going to find too much about the evils of slavery. In fact, you're going to find a whole bunch that seems to condone slavery. And you're going to find that about a lot of things that you're going to feel deeply about and have strong opinions on when you go to the Bible. Because you see, you and I are getting a lot of our feelings about things and a lot of our opinions about things from a secular media. We're getting it from from people who don't have a Christian worldview. We're getting it from people who don't believe in God, who maybe don't have moral standards like you and I do, who perhaps don't believe that life is purposeful. And so people are creating some some amazing media out there, but they're pushing an agenda, they're pushing in a message, and it's very emotive. And and, and when you get into it and you you take on board, sometimes it's, it's an obvious push to believe this thing or that thing. Sometimes it's just subtly in there, but we come away having an opinion about slavery. Or we come away having an opinion about prostitution or abortion or whales or any one of the whole massive number of issues that we as Christians can, 
can feel, well, that's, you know, that Christians should believe that. Christians should feel strongly and have strong opinions about that. And then some of those things, we come back to the Bible and think, hang on a minute. How come I feel out on a limb here, speaking so strongly and feeling so strongly about these things, when the Bible is perhaps silent or sometimes even appears to condone some of the stuff that we would say is ungodly because of the way we feel about it? Does that make sense? Excellent. What I want to do is, that's kind of a bit of a prelude to, I want to read to you a letter from the Bible tonight. Okay, it's a little letter, we possibly call it a book, um, but it's just really a letter and it's a, written by a guy called Paul, who is a leader in the early church. It's written to a guy called Philemon, or Philemon, or Phil, Emon, or, <laughs> or however you want to say it. But it's written to this guy who was a slave owner. All right? And it was actually written because a slave of his, named Onesimus, had run away. And so that slave, Onesimus, had come into contact with Paul uh, while Paul was in prison. And um, I want to just read it to you, and I want you to, as, as you hear it, I just want you to really listen to what it's saying, and then at the end I'm going to just maybe make a few comments on maybe on what we would expect to hear that Paul didn't say, or maybe what he did say that we wouldn't expect him to say. So it says, Philemon, I'll just read the first 19 verses, because I think it will cover what I want to say. Starts off, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, so the letter's from them. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order to do you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, Paul, or sorry, I then as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner, of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you, uh, from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> I love that Paul, he's kind of being honest, he's being persuasive, but he's leaving a bit of room for the move, a bit of freedom. There's a bit of almost sarcasm in there. 
And, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that we could talk about just from that little text. But I just want to have a look, firstly, at what Paul didn't say that maybe we'd expect him to say on this topic of slavery. Because, like I said, it's a, it's a slave, and slavery is bad, ungodly, evil, because we've just seen that portrayed. So the question would be, perhaps, why didn't Paul, when he writes back to Philemon, give him a darn good piece of his mind about the evils of Christians participating in something as wrong as owning another person, having slaves. Paul doesn't say that. He's silent. He's actually got a slave in his keeping, a man who was a slave who ran away, and Paul doesn't, doesn't challenge this societal evil of slavery. That's the first thing that's surprising. Possibly even more shocking, in a sense, is the fact that Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Because again, from our 21st century mindset, where particularly in Australia, where we, we just, you know, we're the land of the free, we love our freedom, we love all things that are, are about people doing what they like, when they want to do it, and all that sort of thing. And so it's offensive that, that Paul would consider sending this person back to his slave owner. You know, we would think perhaps the thing to do would be to put him in some sort of Christian witness protection program, to maybe give him a new name, call him something else, call him Harry, and, and get him a job somewhere and just pretend he disappeared off the face of the earth. And, and you know, if, if Philemon comes to any conferences, we'll just make sure that, that, that Harry is out the back, you know, washing dishes or, or doing something else so that, you know, he doesn't really know what's going on. Because that would be the right thing to do, right? Because slavery is bad. But Paul doesn't do that. He sends him back into this situation. And so my question is, why? Why does Paul not address the thing that is so obviously evil, the elephant in the room, if you like, slavery, when he has such a great opportunity to, to rescue a man from that horrible thing? Why didn't he do it? And we're going to ask these questions. When you read the Bible, you know there's a 2,000-year gap, particularly you know, from the New Testament, even longer for the Old Testament. And we need to ask these questions. We need to think, you know, why is something going on back then that wouldn't happen today? And we need to try and put ourselves back there. Now, I want you to understand that nearly two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves at that particular time. Christianity wasn't that popular at that particular time. It was a fledgling religion, if you like, trying to get a foothold. Obviously, coming off the back of Judaism... But, you know, they were doing everything they could to propagate the gospel. The last thing they needed to do was to be perceived to have another agenda that threatened the very fabric of Roman society at that particular time. They, didn't, they already had enough hassles with the Jews. They already had enough hassles with various um, Roman emperors and, and, you know, their whims. And so they weren't going to do anything, or Paul wasn't going to do anything overtly issue-based because it would come back to bite the church in a bad way. And already, things were tough enough for Christians at that particular time. So that's the first reason. I think the second reason is the fact that he was quite comfortable with the fact that he knew that if, if a person's heart will change, ultimately that will supersede any laws about any particular issue that we might care to mention. He was more, more um, concerned about what was going on the inside of a person than what was going on externally. He knew that ultimately that would bring change. 
And so, with that in mind, I just want to have a look at three things with regards to Onesimus' journey that we can glean um, in terms of our lives today. Okay, you might say, well, you know, I'm free, I live in Australia, he was a slave, he lived 2,000 years ago, etc. No, there are some things that we, we need to look beyond, again, the issues, the things that attract our attention. We say, no, what, what's really going on here? What's the, the most important thing? in this little letter, because it is pretty important. The fact that it's, it's been preserved by the church for 2,000 years, the fact that she made its way into the Bible, just, just 25 verses or thereabouts, um, says that it's got something to say to us today. Okay, there's not too much that's been preserved of God's Word, really. God's Word is relatively small when you consider all the writings in the world throughout history. Okay, and this little thing has made it in there, so it's got something to say to us. Firstly, if we consider Philemon... This runaway slave, this man on the run, and if you need a title, I'm just calling on the run today, all right? On the run is our uh, sermon title. But you see, Philemon ran from his master. Now the question is, why did he run from his master? Is it because his master was harsh and unfair and abusive? Well, I don't think so. I mean, we've got to, you know, it's not all spelled out for us, but we need to use our sanctified imagination and try and read between the lines as we read any part of the Bible. And when we see Paul's greeting to Philemon, we see that he's got nothing but good things to say about Philemon. He talks about, you know, he's just so blessed every time he thinks about him and prays about him. He's excited by the fact that he refreshes the hearts of the saints. He was a good man. He was a good man. It wouldn't really matter about the laws of slavery. I'm sure that he treated his slaves well. What's more likely is that Onesimus failed to appreciate what Philemon was giving to him because slavery, you know, again, we, we have the sort of picture that we saw here, we have that sort of very one-sided type of relationship. You know, one person living at the expense of the other and abusing another, that is kind of the picture that comes to mind for many of us today because that's a lot of the, the, the um, you know, portrayals of slavery that we understand. But the reality is slavery was a bit of a two-way relationship. In return for his or her service, a slave received some things back. Often, you know, the first really important thing was their life. Many people, many slaves, you could become a slave many, many ways. One of the ways that people became slaves was that back in those days, human life was, was, didn't have a great deal of value placed on it. And if you had a child that you did potentially want, you would just go, they would, be, they would do what they called exposing the child, just leave the child out in the elements for the dogs or for the weather to polish off. And so children were just exposed, left to die. Now, what would happen is those people that didn't like that would bring these children up in their household and they would become a slave in the home. But it was, they got their life back because of that. They got food, they got shelter, they got clothing. They often, as they had families, their families were able to be supported as well. They had protection of the master. All of these things were benefits that came towards the slaves. It wasn't entirely one way, although I'm not, just, I'm not advocating slavery, I'm not standing entirely for slavery, I'm just saying that you know, our picture sometimes can be skewed by certain things. There would have been good, slave, um, good masters and bad masters, undoubtedly. But I'm just saying that it sounds like Onesimus had a good master, but he failed to recognise that he had a good master. He failed to think on the benefits and he allowed perhaps ingratitude and resentment to build up in his life to the point where he had to take a run. Like I said, seems like the ultimate tragedy to us today, slavery in, our, in the way that we value freedom so much. But slavery wasn't the worst thing that could happen 
to Onesimus. Otherwise, people became slaves was through breaking the law. And sometimes, you know, people was, they, they, or they couldn't pay back their debts. And again, they would be destitute. Poverty was worse than slavery back in those days. Prison was worse than slavery back in those days. There were a whole bunch of things that were worse than slavery back in those days. And like I said, it seems that Onesimus actually had a reasonable sort of slave master. And so we see the likely story here is that his resentment and his ingratitude caused him to run away. So how does that apply to us? Well, I'm just trying to build a picture here because the Bible, if we zoom out a little bit and look at the bigger picture of what the Bible brings to us, the revealed word of God, stuff that God tells us about our situation that we couldn't know in and of ourselves, it would just be a guess if we tried to work out, is there a God, isn't there a God? If there is, how do we reach him, etc., etc. No, the Bible is God's revealed word. God's speaking to us about the things that we need to know. And the Bible reveals that God, first and foremost, is creator and master of all things. The Bible even qualifies by saying all things that are seen and unseen, so the natural realm and the spiritual realm. It also goes on to talk about the fact that we as human nature, as humans have this nature that causes us, just like Onesimus, to resent his claim of lordship over our lives, despite his goodness despite all that he provides for us on a daily basis. God is so good in what he provides for us on a daily basis. Even on our worst day, the sun is shining, the birds are singing. There's an amazing a bounty that God gives us every day, a visual feast, a, a, um, a sensual feast. There are so many things that God has given to us because he loves us. He's provided for us. He protects us and so on and so forth. But the trouble is, we don't often understand that because we value freedom. We think we could do it better. We don't like marching to the beat of someone else's drum. We want to march to the beat of our own drum. We don't want to do the will of him in heaven. We want to do the will of us on earth. And so we find ourselves resenting God. And ultimately, we get to the point where we run. In fact, we're born in this running state, if you like. You know, From the moment we begin to make decisions for ourselves, we, we, we're doing our own thing. We don't come well under authority, be it a human authority or spiritual authority. And so we find that the human condition is that all people are running from God. Not necessarily right now, because some have submitted to God and come back, but outside of Christ, people are running. Some are running faster, some are running slower, some are running further, some are running not so fast, some are, some are you know, running with this style and some are running with that style, but at the end of the day, we're all running from God. Sometimes their running can look very religious. Sometimes it can look very irreligious. Sometimes a person can look very immoral while they're running from God. Another person can look very moral while they're running from God. But the fact is, we're still running from God. And there's a separation that comes as we run from God, just as Onesimus was separated. I'm sure Onesimus, he thought, awesome, I'm free, takes off, Heads for Rome because he thinks he'll probably blend into the crowd there and you know, he thinks he'll just, just be able to make a new life for himself. And he could do so much better under his own leadership than he could ever do living in Philemon's house. But the fact of the matter was that I'm sure the truth hit him a lot harder than he expected it to. Because he suddenly didn't have someone providing his food for him. He somewhat didn't have someone looking after his clothing 
or giving him a roof over his head and so on and so forth. All those things that he'd just taken for granted, suddenly they weren't there. Suddenly he realised that there's a lot of competition in a society like Rome for even just the, the scraps off of someone's table, never mind a meal set before you. And so things were tougher than he thought. And again, I think all of us can identify with that. You know, we think, let's run from God. Let's, let's establish our own life. Let's do things our way. Let's claim our freedom. And then we begin to realise that things aren't quite going the way we anticipated. You know that gnawing, empty feeling that God-shaped hole that's been caused, called? That wealth can't fill, that relationships can't fill, that family can't fill, that career can't fill, that success and fame and all those sorts of things can't fill. That's part of this problem. That's evidence of this separation from God that we were not designed to live with or under. That feeling of insignificance, that sense of hopelessness as you consider the vast expanse of our universe and of time and think, who am I in that? Surely life is pointless because anything I do is like a drop in the bucket. It, doesn't, it counts for nothing outside of God. That guilty conscience that people cannot seem to shake. It doesn't matter how religious or irreligious they are. At the end of the day, people live with a dread of judgment. And so we see a world full of all sorts of weird and wonderful expressions of religion. Because people intuitively know that they have offended a holy God. And they're trying to claw their way back to him with all sorts of religious practices. Some extreme, some not so extreme. But nonetheless, it's an acknowledgement of the emptiness and the separation of God from God. And so that's the human condition. That's what it's like outside of this relationship with God. That's where Onesimus was outside of Philemon's household. And so I want to have a quick look at three things that we can learn from his journey. Three things I think that will apply to every one of us in the room, whether you're not a Christian and you're in that place I just described, or whether you've a seasoned Christian, been around for a long, long time and think you've got it all together. Hopefully something I'm going to share in the next few minutes will be relevant to where you're at. The first thing we can learn from Onesimus' journey is this simply, number one, because we're talking about priorities, remember? We're not talking about the issues, all the things that can attract our attention as Christians. We should do this, we should do that. What about alcoholism? What about abortion? What about the whales? What about prostitution? What about gay marriage? What about all those things? No, no, Paul didn't address slavery. He came back to the main thing. And I'll just draw out the main thing tonight. The first thing is to be saved, number one. He says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Paul, coincidentally, just happened to be in the place that Onesimus ended up. I love that. It's an example of providence. You know that, that wonderful God-ordained interruption in our plans? Where we kind of end up face-to-face -face with him and have confronted and given a choice. And again, for Onesimus, he came to seemingly, again, reading into a little bit, but seemingly he came to the bottom of the barrel and ended up in jail. Maybe he was stealing a bit of bread or whatever, but he ends up in jail next to Paul. And while he's there, Paul being Paul just can't help himself. I mean, he's probably singing at night, you know how he how goes. He's sharing to everyone who will listen. 
And ultimately, they work out there's a connection maybe between him and Onesimus and Paul and Philemon. And, and, and you know, the, just in the, the, the time that they're together, Onesimus recognises the foolishness of his ways, not just from running from his master, his earthly master, Philemon, but the fact he's actually been running from God. And Paul offers him the opportunity to be reconnected with God through the person of Jesus Christ. He preaches what's called the gospel, the good news to him, the fact that God is actively pursuing us and wants us to come back to him. And so Onesimus responds positively to this opportunity he's given. And I love the fact that for every one of us, you know, again, for those that are believers, we, we can look back and we can, we can talk about and identify that little God incidence, that coincidental thing of all the places for me to be on that particular day. Or, you know, I wasn't even planning to go to church that night or whatever it was. And, and somehow just God got in our face and, and, and showed himself to us or, or revealed our need for him initially. And every one of us, I believe, because God is good and God is faithful and God is loving, I don't believe any person slips out of this earth without the opportunity to be confronted with their need for a saviour. Paul mentioned this morning about you know, Old Testament faith and you know, you know, God has a way of getting to people and, and receiving those who respond well to him. And so I just, you know, you, you might be here tonight by divine appointment. Be open to that possibility if you're not a Christian yet, if you're not a believer yet, if you haven't been saved yet, born again, all the, all the, you know, the, the Christian terminology for that thing that it is when you become a follower of Jesus. Because there's some amazing, God has a million ways, probably a trillion or a billion or a zillion ways of bringing you to him. It doesn't matter what path you're on. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor. You don't have to be down and out to become a Christian. You can be just as up and out. You can be at the top of your game. You can be at the bottom of the game. You can have the most awesome relationship in the world, marriage, kids, all that. You can have the worst marriage. It doesn't matter. You can be addicted to stuff. You can be not addicted to stuff. You can be famous. You can be never heard of. But God will break into your world somewhere. And when he does, you owe it to yourself, not to just dismiss him, but to find out what it is that's on offer. How do I respond? You know, it's called the good news. It's the good news because it's attainable. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. You know, throughout the Bible, we read of all sorts of crazy things that people used to do, including sacrificing their own kids to try and please God, the God that they'd in, of their imaginations. But the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus has done everything that we need to have done for us. And all we need to do is believe that he did it on our behalf for us, receive it and bow the knee. Come back under the mastery of God. And we'll be received. That's what it is to be saved. So the choice tonight for those who don't know God is will you continue to run? Or will you stop? Will you turn? And will you submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus? That's the first thing. We need to be saved. This is the, this is the, the crux. If we get this right, this is the start of solving a whole bunch of issues that this world is facing right now. The second thing is to be changed. Because getting saved isn't an end in itself. Some people unfortunately think it is. You know, they take this um, you know, ticket to the grand final approach to Christianity. You know, it's like, I put my hand up, that's what I do, isn't it? And, I, and I'm guaranteed a you know, ticket to heaven. And it's kind of like, did that, got the ticket, 
see you later, I'm out of here, I'll go and live my life, thank you very much, and I'll see you in heaven. I don't think it quite works like that, to be honest. Um, getting saved, making that decision, responding however you know, the, the church that you may do that in um, requires is not where it stops. It's actually the start of a journey. It's the start of a process. We don't know how long Paul and Onesimus were together in jail for. But it's obvious that Onesimus had some changing taking place. He was transformed through the hearing of the gospel and then through, through Paul's ongoing mentoring and input into his life. And his attitude changed so much that he, you know, Paul had to have that conversation with him one day. He, Paul, I guess, was, you know, initially it was all about, um, you know, what a bad master Philemon was or whatever. And, and Paul would just continue to talk to him about his need to forgive and move on and, you know, just teach him the, the basic principles of what it was to be a Christian and take on the nature of Jesus Christ, etc. Just, just persevere with him, persevere with him. And gradually, or quickly, because it can happen both ways. Some things happen quickly, excuse me. Some things happen gradually. But, you know, Paul got to that point where he thought, today's the day. Today I'm going to sit Onesimus down and I'm going to tell him, pack your bags, you're going home. <laughs> He's mature enough to be able to face up to and deal with his past. That's what God is desiring of us. Not that we remain the little whingy, offendable, uh, you know, all the sorts of stuff that we, we were when we become Christians, and sometimes still are. But, you know, we're called to, to go on to maturity. We're called to grow up in our faith. It's, it's born again, you know. Being born is a starting point. From there, you know, the idea is that we grow up into something. We mature. And so Philemon, sorry, Onesimus had reached this point where Paul knew he's got it. He understands that he is not his own. He has been bought with the price. He's part of the team. I can send him back now. And actually, he sent him back with Tychicus, and they took the, the letter to the Colossians as well, and as long with this letter. And he said, I can, I can you know, confidently put this letter in his hand and know it's going to get to its destination. He's not going to take off. He's not going to shoot off somewhere else. He's going to go. He's going to face up. He's going to, whatever Philemon decides to do, whether he decides out of the goodness of his heart to send him back to help me, or whether he decides to keep him in the, the church that meets in their home and make him a deacon and give him his freedom, or whether he just keeps him you know, sweep, uh, washing toilets or whatever it is, Paul knew that Onesimus was ready. He was man enough to face up to it and take what came because he had an understanding of what it was to be a believer, to what it, understanding of what it meant to not be your own anymore, but to live for someone greater. And so how does that apply to us? Well, the good news is that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've become. You can be changed. You might have been an alcoholic. You may even still be an alcoholic. You might be a habitual liar. You might be lazy. You might be violent. You might be rude. You might be addicted to porn. You might be a sucky husband or wife. You might be a whole bunch of things. But the fact is that God's transforming power is greater than whatever you're struggling with right now. Because it's an inside job. 
God, by his Holy Spirit, comes and lives in your life. He doesn't say, okay, you're a Christian, now on your way, on, you know, it's up to you. No, we already failed at that. Up to us didn't work. Okay, so God gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us and he surrounds us with believers, older and wiser and more mature in the faith than we are, to help us grow up. And if we will submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and incidentally, I would encourage you, if, you've, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've never you know, had that experience of speaking in tongues or got no idea about the gifts of the Spirit, I would encourage you to come on Wednesday night. Paul um, is going to be leading a meeting around people who are seeking to, to receive the power of God into their lives, to be able to live this life that we're called to live. It's impossible to live without his presence in our lives. And it's impossible to live without believers around about us that will help us and keep us accountable, etc., etc. And the good news is that this transformation that we're experiencing, this change of life, comes and makes way for reconciliation. We see that that maturity having come, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. He says, I'm sending him my very heart back to you. You know, all the stuff that I said about before, you know, the addictions and the lying and all that sort of stuff, that, that has an impact on the way that people view you. There are possibly people right now, even though we're in church, who hate your guts. There are people who, who think you are the Antichrist. <laughs> There are people who don't want you in their world anymore. And maybe there are people who should want you in their world. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's an ex-wife or husband. There's people who don't trust you because of the way you've lived in the past. Or maybe you've been abused and maybe you can't trust. Maybe you're full of unforgiveness. Maybe you're a a shell of the person that you could and should be. But the good thing is that as God's transforming power comes into your life, it's so transforming. It's so powerful. It enables us to face up to the past. Now, I'm not saying you become a Christian and you, know, you just jump back into the old lifestyle because there's a good chance that you're not equipped yet. But I'm just saying that all things being equal, if you will submit yourself to the transforming work of God in your life, a time will come, a place will come, a moment will come when you're going to be able to face up and with absolute purity of heart and integrity and, and a desire to do so, you're going to be able to give the forgiveness that is necessary. Or you're going to be able to humble yourself and go and ask or, or say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness as necessary. You're going to be able to go back in and you know, some of those people that, um, you know, you're God's grace to people. And they might not get it. And, and you know, the reality is we don't sort of come out and you know, send you to a monastery for five or six years until you're ready and then send you back home. The reality is you become a Christian where you are. You know, so you're still going to go to school tomorrow or you're still going to go to work or you're still going to go home to your husband or wife who hates your guts. And you're going to say, oh, I've met Jesus. It's awesome. I'm a new person. You know, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. That's absolutely true. So, but it's your baby new. <laughs> And you're going to grow in the faith. And, and you're, you know, you know, some of the nature and character of Christ might take a little bit of time to come out and be seen, particularly when you've got a partner who's in your face at home, just saying, who do you think you are? Call yourself a Christian. Or workmates, or schoolmates, or unimates, or whoever else. But if you persevere and allow God to transform you, ultimately, it's going to lead to reconciliation. 
Those people who might hate you now will love you in the future. Those people who despise you, those people who don't trust you, you're going to be their source of inspiration. You're going to, be their, you're going to create and spark hope and faith in your life because they're thinking, you, of, how, of all people, you, the bane of my existence, you, my saviour. Not my saviour as in Jesus' name, but, but, but you. I, I was going to kill myself, but I saw if, if you can change, far out. I'll give anything a go. I'll come to church. That's how it works. That's how it works. So that's the second thing. Don't run from change. Turn. Embrace it. It's not just for your sake. It's great to be a better person. I hope we're all better people, and I hope we feel a bit better about ourselves at some level because of the changes that we can recognise we've made. But then it's not us who need it as much as those who have got their opinions and need to see the transforming power of God at work in someone's life before they'll believe it's available for their life. Thirdly, just be useful. Be useful. Again, it's a journey. Don't stop at getting your ticket to heaven, so to speak. Don't stop at just thinking you're a better person or becoming a better person. But ultimately, it's about being useful. Paul said to, to Philemon, formerly he was useless to you. He was useless when he ran away because he wasn't there. But probably before that, he was lazy, he was lethargic, he had an attitude. It was just all too hard. He just sort of slothed around and, you know, he was useless. Maybe you've been called useless. You're useless. <laughs> he was useless. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. In other words, Onesimus became more than just a good slave. He became a partner in ministry to Paul. His, 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 he discovered his purpose. It wasn't just about scrubbing toilets or washing floors or whatever. He discovered his purpose. His, his existence on this planet was connected in with eternity. And God calls us to become useful by working in partnership with himself and a local church. Being useful can look a whole bunch of different ways. It doesn't, doesn't mean you've got to become a pastor or you've got to become a Victory Kids teacher, or you've got to be a worship leader. No, no, that, that, that can be part of it. Part of being useful to God can be that. But there's just so much. Even in this small letter that I read to you, there's a few examples of being useful. We see that Paul commends um, Philemon for sharing his faith. We see that Paul himself was useful by preaching and speaking the gospel and helping um, Onesimus to understand it. Paul was useful by mediating this very tricky situation between a, a master and his ex-slave. doesn't have to look all churchy to be useful. Paul offers to cover a debt that Onesimus himself couldn't pay. Gee, I wonder where he got that idea from. You know what I mean? That's happened to me. It's the least I can do for you. If I can help, I'm here to help. It's being useful to God. Helping others. He says, you know, he's been helping me. He's been a help. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know. He had set up a little church service in, in, uh, in prison and Onesimus went out and got a little bit of wine, a little bit of bread and set up communion. I, I don't know. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things he could have been helpful to Paul to. I but he was helpful. He was just a helpful person to have around. Obviously, we see Onesimus, uh, sorry, Philemon being willing to forgive and to have his former slave back. And we don't know what happens from there. Maybe he released him back to go with Paul. We see Paul lovingly and yet firmly kind of, and I love the way he does this, but he, 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 he tells Onesimus what to do, sorry, Philemon what to do, sort of. 
but he leaves him free to make a decision. And I think that's really helpful. I think we need people around us being useful by holding us accountable when we need it, by giving us the freedom to make our choices. Don't run from being useful to God. Offer yourself to him as a servant. Now, yes, there's a, there's a church application there. I think you know, we are always after more volunteers in this local church. There's some amazing things that happen here week in, week out that are part of our strategy to reach into our community. And we need people absolutely helping out when we have things like Kid Guy, when we have our cafe happening and you know, our youth ministry. There's all those things that are going on and they are great. We absolutely want our teams brimming. You know, we want spares. <laughs> we want reserves that we can call on. You're not just people just flogging themselves because people are handing back not being useful, but being useless in the house of God. But that's, that's just part of it. What about getting up every morning and say, God, here I am, I'm your servant. What have you got for me today? How are you going to interrupt my schedule today in a way that I can be useful? Because I'm here, I'm for you. You're not, you're not for me, I'm for you. And so what's it, what could it look like at work today? And maybe it's just that you, know, you go to work and everything's as normal, but you just notice that someone's a little bit out of sorts, Maybe just like they've been crying. Being useful could be going over and saying, hey, are you all right? Just putting yourself out there. Because this, we're living in a world today where people are becoming less and less interested in what others are doing. All they're worried about is themselves and they're caught up in their little electronic worlds. And you know, we have the opportunity, just by being even the least of us, the, the, the shortest time saved of us, the, the, if it's possible, we have the smallest amount of the Holy Spirit in us can do a whole bunch better than most people are doing out there in terms of being caring and loving and kind, etc., etc. So be useful. I started just talking about how easy it is to form strong opinions and feelings about issues. And I mentioned that we need to fight sometimes to come back beyond those feelings and issues uh, beyond those feelings and opinions, say, what's, what's really important? And I hope I've given an example of that tonight, that it's easy to get caught up with an issue. And, you know, slavery and abolition of slavery ultimately took place because of what Paul wrote, even though I've used it another way tonight, because it was, it was the, the spirit that came through. And ultimately, the church hit critical mass and they had a voice that was able to be heard. And they began to live out these principles, and ultimately those, those heart values were enshrined in law, and society was changed for the better as a result. And you know, it affected slaves, it's affected women, it's affected children, it's affected you know, the disabled, it's affected the elderly. There's so many things in our society that we don't give, you know, that, that are a result of Paul's writings, even though he didn't go after those things in the first instance. He didn't say, you've got to get out there and set up hospitals, but Christians did, because they were saved because they were changed and because they became useful. Not the other way around. So just in closing, there's three groups of people, I guess, here that I want to talk to. Are you still running from God? I want to give you an opportunity in a moment to respond. Becoming a Christian is as simple as realising that, yes, I'm one of those people running from God. And I'm not doing a good job of it on my own. I realize I've rebelled against God. I need his forgiveness. And we turn to him and ask for his forgiveness because of what Jesus has done to make that possible. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. And we'll get some people to talk with you after the service so you can have a bit of an understanding of what that means. Maybe you're running 
from change. You think, well, I don't know if I like the person I might become. I'm afraid to change. What if I lose myself? Well, that's probably not a bad thing for most of us to lose ourselves a bit. But the reality is you're going to become a better you. You're going to become the you that God always intended. Because you are a shriveled self right now. All of us, to, to, compared to what God's got, the future glory, the, thing that he's, you know, the person that he's bringing us into over the years, and then ultimately in, in, in a blinking of an eye, you're going to want to be that person. You're going to want to meet that person. You're going to love that person. And all these other persons who will be like that as well. <laughs> so don't run from change. Embrace change. Embrace change. Don't run from being useful to God, but plug in to a local church. Again, I know some people come here um, are part of another church, but they come here in the evenings because their church doesn't have a service. Plug in. If you're calling the other church home, plug in there. If this is home, plug in here. Don't be useless wherever you, whatever you call home, but plug in, be useful. And then make a commitment daily to commit yourself to God. Be useful. And maybe you think, well, I've got all that sorted. Well, how about just keep an eye out for others that are running from any of those things and get alongside like Paul did and just help them ultimately to be saved, to continue to change and grow, and then to become a useful part of God's kingdom. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.